0: Welcome to The Closed Session, How to Get Paid in Silicon Valley, with your host, Tom Chavez and Vivek Vidya.
1: Hello, and welcome to the second season of The Closed Session. What are we going
2: to talk about today, Tom? Vivek, it's good to be back here in 2020. Let's, uh, let's chop it up a little bit. And, you know, I've been getting a lot of questions from people. You've talked about all these other things, these other kind of abstract topics, You've got this new thing going called Superset. Why in the world aren't you talking about it? Mm -hmm. And part of the reason is we wanted to keep it low. Want to build a little intrigue and suspense in 2019, but a lot happened there. And I think it's right for us to unveil it a little bit. Talk about Superset today. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think I agree. I think we should definitely uh, use this first episode to uh, talk about what we're doing at Superset, the various companies, what we're doing, how we're doing it. Things we're Uh, learning. Things we're learning. Yep. And 2019 was a big year. I think uh, it's it'll be fun to talk about it. No,
2: let's start with what it isn't. Mm. Tell us what Superset isn't, because a lot of people here were doing this thing, and then they say, "Oh my God, I I get that." Let's let's jump in. Let me let me pitch you.
1: Yeah, it ha- it's happening to me a lot. People are introducing me to other people as, uh, "Oh, he's a VC now," and uh, Superset is not a venture capital firm. That's what it's not. We are. Uh, we like to think of ourselves as player coaches, company builders with uh, with capital. We have a fund, we have invested uh, significantly ourselves in the fund, but the fund exists only to support, to, to launch and support the companies that are part of our studio,
2: right? That's right. So it's early for this asset class. Some people have heard about these things called venture studios. We call it a startup studio. Uh, somebody else we spoke to recently called it a, a blended operating model, mm. right? So it's capital plus operations. But mm. to your point, you know, the fund exists and it's good that it exists, but the main attraction, the main thing is founding, funding, building these companies.
1: Yep, yep. So why why, why does it exist, Tom? Why why did we decide to go out, hang a shingle and, and start create SuperServe? Why not just do another company?
2: Well, so the the thing one... And the biggest reason, because this is free enterprise, this is capitalism, we want to generate a fantastic return for our investors, our employees, and stakeholders broadly. And that's important to us. We always like to talk, yes, investors matter, but it's also about generating wealth for our employees Mm -hmm. and their families, and we're thinking broadly about the stakeholders. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: The second grand idea, and we're dead serious about this, is to advance entrepreneurship across the planet. Mm -hmm. So, yes, the money matters, but the bigger idea really is for us to, we hope, kind of formalize and identify the patterns that create successful entrepreneurship. And we don't know what form it takes, but we want to give those to the world. We want to propagate it as widely as we can. Mm -hmm. The third and final thing is we want to work with cool, nice, smart, hardworking people. We want to lead and learn from people. Remember at Crux, I used to walk in, and I haven't said this in a while. I used to walk into work, and I, I would tell you, I want to be the village idiot. Mm-hmm. I want to be the dumbest person in this whole thing, and I just want to be dazzled and slightly confused all day long. You only get that if you're if you're finding awesome people and getting them in the boat. Yep. So that's those are the three reasons why we exist. Uh, let's talk about sort of our thesis, and this happens a lot now when you have a, a new thing like this. Investors will ask you, "What's your thesis?" Yeah. What's our thesis?
1: So. You know, I think it's important to kind of just look back and recognize that we are good at certain things, and as is every human being, I guess, we are good at certain things and not so good at at others, right? So we've been uh, uh, reasonably successful at building companies that have uh, leveraged data algorithms, machine learning, artificial intelligence to build enterprise software that that has solved some very important business problems in the supply chain, advertising, ad tech, martech kind of domains. So as we as we started to conceive Superset, you know, you and I kind of thought, hey, what about taking that same approach and applying it to other verticals, right? And that kind of started the germ of an idea, which was the thesis became actually leveraging data and AI to build companies that would create asymmetric value for consumers, customers, the world, in. Multiple verticals, whether it's HR tech, whether it's utility, whether it's, again, MarTech, whether it's privacy security, any domain where the protection, generation, curation, use of data could generate value,
2: that became our thesis. Yeah, we love that because it gives us many degrees of freedom, Mm -hmm. as you're pointing out. At the core, there's this this data-driven idea but it allows us to jump into new sectors like HR tech. We started an HR tech company called Escalera. Mm-hmm. What did you know about HR tech before we got going there? Uh, nothing. Yeah. I No, literally nothing. I'm right there with you. Yeah. But we, we learn fast and and we think that by showing up with that kind of conception, it gives us a unique kind of power. It allows us to ask questions and see things that incumbents aren't necessarily mm-hmm. seeing. Uh, so it, it makes sense and look, the early paces in 2019 were, were very productive and promising in that regard. Let's talk about how we do it. Yeah, people, product, customers, revenue—in that order, right? If we're PPCR, trying to PPCR—that's our framework. PPCR. So, so what that means is, and to the point we made earlier, it's all about people, right? Mm-hmm. The technology, the product, market problems—all of those are really salient. But as we've learned, if you got a great team you're going to go straight to the moon. If you don't have the right people, the right talent lined up early, you can still get there, but you're going to wobble and thrash. And so so people first, then product, and we're that's also to your point. Th- that's, that's, our of jam, who, right? yeah, that's our jam, right? That's our jam. That's who we are. Mm-hmm. We're product guys. Um, if you get a great product going, then remarkably, customers tend to show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, you figure out, the revenue scaling aspects, which is, I think, it's safe to say, something not that you and I didn't properly understand Correct. ten years ago. Correct. I do tell people I've had a whole prison conversion around revenue and sales ops. So this is this is a defining source of power for Superset. We're taking it dead seriously in the build out of all of these companies.
1: Mm-hmm. I think. I think the other thing that both uh, you and I kind of learned in the last five seven years, and this, I uh, Salesforce was was instructive in that sense for me personally in that the maniacal focus on customer success. right? Making sure how you uh, create features or in the product that ultimately result in customer success is something that we're taking very, very seriously as part of the build-out at Superset.
2: So another key aspect of how we do it is the Superset code. Mm. Talk about the Superset code.
1: Yeah, so we, as, as Tom said, we are trying to codify as much of our learnings in, that we've that we've gathered in the past 10, 15 years into frameworks and playbooks, and we call those collections of collection of frameworks of frameworks and playbooks the superset code. And these are uh, strategies, frameworks, best practices uh, in things like infrastructure, things like revenue go to market, how to set up your CRM system, how to set up your sales pipeline, product staging, uh, and product and sequ- staging and sequencing. Yep. All of these things are being packaged into playbooks that we
2: collectively call the superset code. And there's actually software code mm. alongside that as well, right? You want to give a quick example there?
1: Yeah, so as, as we as we were saying when we were talking about the thesis, right, the capture, the collection of, of data is a significant component of, of our thesis. So we have a service that we've built that is uh, all around data collection, how to do data collection at scale from a variety of sources. That is... That is actual code uh, that can be deployed by any company that uh, needs to collect data from from different sources. Uh, another good example is all, is all the code, like Terraform code, if you will, for deploying microservices. We're being prescriptive on how to write microservices, independent of programming language, that is, and then how do you deploy them? What kind of logging, what kind of monitoring, what kind of uh, redundancy, auto-scaling stuff you build in at design time to these services, all of that is being packaged into code libraries and software that can be leveraged by uh, by our various companies.
2: Beautiful. Uh, so, what we're talking about at the end of the day here is a set of companies. Uh, we're going to overview them here shortly. Mm. We like to think of them as intellectually and ethically aligned, right? So, there's a common substrate, if you like, that points to the patterns and and. Uh, data-driven possibilities that recur through all of these
0: things. Mm-hmm.
2: The way that we show up, the values uh, to which we hold ourselves accountable—those are all common. But the companies are operationally decoupled,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so, that's
1: important, right?
2: Very important, yeah, because right? we don't want to create un- any unwanted
1: hazards uh, for for the companies within themselves,
2: and especially also because future investors are showing up mm-hmm. already. And, of course, they need to know that it's not just one big mangled mess of stuff that all kind of... No, these are individual companies with their own cap tables, their own management structures, their own possibilities, and their own problems. Yeah. So, what we're trying to do is create uh, a platform, if you like, the, the right soil conditions for those companies to take root and flourish. Yeah. So, let's, how many companies do we have? Let's talk about them. So, five companies... And, and what we should do is just quick log lines on every company just to introduce them, and then we'll we'll get into the other possibilities and the way we talk about them and the, and the lessons we're learning here in a minute. So, Truthset, Habu, Switchbit, Escalera, Spectrum.
1: Yep, those are the five.
2: Okay, let's do quick log lines on each one. So, let's start with Truthset.
1: Truthset is data validation for the internet.
2: In so a simple we, phrase. There it is. Um, very intriguing. Habu, you're on fire. Keep going.
1: Habu is a marketing data operating system for Ad tech and Martech. Switchbit. Switchbit is data
2: fortification for privacy and security for enterprises. Holy guacamole, you are unstoppable. Escalera.
1: Escalera is diversity and inclusion anchored HR tech platform for employee experience and engagement. Spectrum. Spectrum is AI-based toxicity detection on user-generated content on the, on,
2: on the internet. That is How did a, I do? That is a clean sweep. I'm, it's a 9.8 from the Russian judge. There so, we go. I mean, that's, that's damn good. <laughs> um, okay, so the superset strategy we said was PPCR, yep. people, product, customers, revenue, in that order. Now, in a prior podcast, we talked about the business plan, and remember that one where we talked about the, the importance of getting things like the market, the team, the technology moat nailed down. So in all of these companies, let's just presume that in the early stages, and we can talk a little bit about the blueprinting and and exploration that we do, but let's just assume that every company, if it exists, we've already persuaded ourselves that there's an unassailably huge market Mm -hmm. there. Okay. So now it comes down to the people dimension, right? And if we're thinking about, how that unfolds, it all begins with the founders, right, yes. so let's talk a little bit about the founders. how do we identify them, what matters, what works in in when you're thinking about new new people to lead a new company from yeah. scratch
1: before we before we go, we should quickly mention that we had in a prior podcast talked about the difference between employees and founders, so we're not going to necessarily cover all of that again here we're focusing on the founders now and what what, what are the attributes of the founders themselves, so I think as you as you think about a new vertical to your point about to your point about what did you and I know about HR Tech uh domain expertise is one right we had to teach ourselves uh, and we're still learning I guess but we had to teach ourselves uh what the HR tech domain was all about and so when we're looking at when we're looking at uh, uh founders we the more domain expertise they have and the more authoritatively they can talk about the domain and the business problems they want to solve that the the better
2: yes so it's timely right we're looking at something right now Mm -hmm. we were very fortunate to have been contacted by two really really great founders who are at the very beginning of their journey Mm -hmm. and they sit down and at a whiteboard this is also powerful when it happens we're in a room they grab the marker they leap to the whiteboard and they start to diagram out at a really convincing level of detail yep what the problem is and how they're going to solve it
1: yep we are big fans of people going up to the whiteboard and drawing things out for us uh, as opposed to talking us through PowerPoint slides.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Right. So I would go further and say, look, they have to be world-class and smart in in their domain. Um, it has to be in a market that's huge, but there also has to be this this perfect match between what the market mm-hmm. needs and what they know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people can know a lot of interesting things that, are, that satisfy curiosity yeah. but aren't going to turn into a great company. Yeah. So, TruthSet yep. is a good example of that. I mm-hmm. want to talk about the the TruthSet guys.
1: Yeah, so you know, so actually, before we go into the TruthSet uh, team and uh, the TruthSet founders, it's it's I think it's useful to mention that that uh, three of these five companies that we talked about were "quote unquote" incubated and hatched by by us. In that we we, as in Tom and I, we started them uh, early on, and then Spectrum and, and uh, TruthSet were uh, started by founders who came to us uh, from the outside and then we worked with them to refine and define the idea and 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 work on it with them in the very 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 early stages and
2: it's a it's a nice mix of those sort of yes. two modalities that yes. we have going yes so truth set is one where we were fortunate to be to pick up the phone and and talk to some people we knew correct
1: yeah so bo- both the founders uh, were people who had uh, "Quote unquote," worked with us in the past, both of them in in a partnership uh, uh, context, and they are experts when it comes to the topics of identity, data availability, data validation, data use, measurement, uh, all of the things that are needed to successfully launch a data validation business uh, that scores and and uh, validates. Uh, data sets that are used for advertising and marketing by brands and uh, advertisers across the internet.
2: And, and lucky us, but I think safe to say part of the reason they they called us and that we were given the opportunity is because we know a lot about that stuff mm-hmm. too. It's super geeky stuff. Right. Right. So uh, actually, speaking of the truth set, folks, another criterion that comes to mind in that context is second timers, right? Yeah. These are two uh, folks with with a lot of scar tissue because they've not just been in large companies they've started companies themselves and and so they can they they have firsthand context for what it's like to be building a company and getting kicked in the teeth all day long. Yeah. It's, they didn't just watch a movie or read a magazine article right. about it. Right. Uh, and that's that's pretty powerful. I think it's safe to say that's one of the key lessons we've been learning is look, I can't I can't do a brain transplant and create that context for you. Mhm. And part of the reason it matters is for us to, to demonstrate and sort of earn uh, the value that we know we can provide, well, there has to be this understanding of the chocolate and peanut butter of the whole thing, yeah. right? We're, we're going to provide those soil conditions I talked about. First-time founders are going to have a harder time contextualizing what's mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. in that way. Second-time founders are, because they've been there, uh, they can understand and the appreciate ex- and the acceleration and de-risking that goes on as yeah. a result of of our little yeah. model here.
1: Uh, which actually, just to build on that, I think the uh, what we've also found that that f- founders who are not shy about asking for help, in fact are are, are shameless <laughs> about asking for help, work work better in this model uh, that we have
2: at superset, and I think you and I have always been, look, I mean, this isn't to um, say that we want to find people who just remind us of us, but that these, as we ask around and we learn more about it, that is a pattern that recurs, mm-hmm. right? Successful founders are absolutely relentless when it comes to finding people who can help them do the thing. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to stop until they, they get somebody who can help them do whatever it is that that needs to get done the day of. So... so And that requires some level of humility, right? They have to be able to just, you know, show up and be willing to uh, let go of the ego. They don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. They don't have to have it all figured out. With some level of humility, say, hey, man, I'm stuck on on these issues. Can you help me?
0: Yep.
2: Requires a very kind of low ego to accomplishment ratio. Yes, yes. Um, Should
1: we move on to product?
2: Let's move it. Yeah, so... We have, I guess it's safe to say, different kind of modalities on the product side. For me, the first one that kind of comes to mind is sort of a p- more process and people-heavy yep. kind of thing, like Escalera. Yep. Right? It's HR tech, so it's all about using technology to systematize inclusion and to discover and harness talent from employees at organizations of a certain scale. So that's a little bit different from super geek stuff like Switchbit. Switchbit, yeah. Right? So you want to speak a little bit about sort of the user experience, like the way that we focus on different things depending on the context. Yeah, I
1: think I think this is this has also been interesting for us, right? Like we uh, we've learned and we were learning the value of user experience and usability for companies and products like Escalera, which which are used every day by uh, by employees at at companies, and so getting them getting employees. Uh, what they're looking for, or what we want from them, as quickly as possible, in the most efficient manner possible, through cleverly designed and and sexy looking even
2: user interfaces. Yeah, we're we're by a bias source, but Escalera is a really beautiful product. Yep. Arguably, it's the first product that you and I have been involved with. <laughs> that where, looks really good. Where the first time off the blocks, people look at it and say, "Wow, that's 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 sexy. I like that." Yeah. Um, we haven't been. Known for that.
1: Yeah. But I think I think what's what's happened what's happened is, as a result of uh of the escalera experience is that all of our all of the companies now, even Switchbit, even though even Switchbit, which is a back end heavy infrastructure kind of play, even the use the user interface and experience for Switchbit also looks
2: pretty good. Wait a minute. Are you suggesting yeah. that you and I are learning and improving a little bit too? I
1: think so. I think we're uh, learning and improving that we need to pay more attention to whoa. these things. So we're bringing in people who can do these things better than we ever could. You so, are melting you know? my mind.
2: Yeah. So another thing that, that happens here is is the quantification of phenomena that haven't been measured before. We did a lot of that in both of our prior companies, yep. right? What's exciting for me about Escalera, and I love it when when people say we talk about measuring belongingness and mm-hmm. connectedness at work. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all fluffy nonsense. You're just making it up, aren't right. you? Nope. No. Actually, you can't put the numbers to concepts that seem so qualitative and squishy as those. And and so Escalera is, and, and it's all data-driven at the core. Now, yep. sometimes people hear about Escalera and they hear about us talking about AI and they get a little worried, oh, so you're going to replace mm-hmm. humans somehow with AI and how is that good for HR and... And you're talking about people, potential, and diversity and inclusion. It's really I, I like to tell people if the A in AI stands for augmented. In other words, if you're focused on augmenting human intelligence mm-hmm. in this way, well, that's that's a whole different conception. Super cool, super exciting. Yep. We're not aware of a lot of people who are really taking that kind of approach. So, and it's working. Yeah.
1: And then there is there is fortification at Switchbit, right? Which is which is a new concept, uh, and it's. It's a new approach. It's something I'm really excited about what we're doing at Switchbit in this, this combination of privacy, compliance, security, encryption, decryption, all of that, into this new concept that we are coining, that we've coined, actually, called yeah. fortification.
2: Which is an interesting little company building notes, right? Because sometimes, and I, I think there are different styles, different points of view on this. Some people say you show up at a, an established market like privacy and security, mm. and you just invoke the existing nomenclature, Mm. don't come up, you know, don't, don't get crazy. Just use the existing words. Mm. I think it's safe to say you and I both find that boring and ineffective. Yep. I love it now (laughs) when, when people say fortification, I don't even know what that means.
1: That's what we're after.
2: Thank you. (laughs) Right. That's exactly, let us, let us explain to you what, what we mean by fortification. It gives us a chance to sort of claim higher ground, to to exert thought leadership and and start snapping people to our framework
1: yep but but even though you know there are differences in approach and uh, and product there there are two things i think that are that we are striving for as, as commonalities across all of our companies one is this what we call blueprint stage blueprinting right stage 1 2 and 3 and the second is uh, network effects We're big believers in the value of of network effects from data
2: and or people. So those two things are common across all the companies. And what we're also, to that last note, I think sometimes what happens is people say, or they just kind of hope and wait for a network effect to kick Mm. in. Mm. Okay, you can try that, but that seems dangerous to me, right? What we're trying to do now is very explicitly design what we're calling data network effects into the products, that we're building at design time. We're thinking about sort of this leap that you that you might take from a, a data network effect to a people, people. network yep. effect. And and so rather than just wait for Mana from heaven to fall to the ground and, oh, yeah, great, we had a network effect, we're actually intentionally trying to design designing those. Designing it so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Should we talk about customers?
1: Yeah. So yeah, the cust- you know know—it's—it's it's been interesting, right? Again, uh, with uh, with Escalera and Habu now uh, as as two kind of examples that we want to use. Uh, Habu, because it's it's in it's in the ad tech, martech space. We could call a lot of our, our industry friends and former uh, former clients for advice, input, feedback on what we were doing, how it was kind of shaping out, but Escalera figuring out the gtm has been has been challenging right don't you when,
2: when, don't you think 100% yeah it's uh and he, there we are learning again yeah. right because some of the patterns that we picked up at our last company we thought would apply in the hr domain and of course actually they don't at all in fact some of the tactics we were deploying there were actually hurting us yep. right so so, and it makes a certain amount of sense when we finally quickly take it in and realize, okay, this is a different space. HR as a species, I mean, these are people who are who are consensus builders, mm-hmm. right? That's one of the probably psychosocial requirements of, of being a good HR leader versus, you know, a CMO who increasingly is the decider yeah. and wants to sort of cut a swath. So, so those are examples of, of the places and ways in which we have to kind of change our flow. hmm Find the right people to build consensus. It's more of a flanking approach. yeah. And uh, and there we are again. So you've got the product now. And by the way, we have a beautiful product. We have early customers and it's working. Mm-hmm. But you still haven't cracked the puzzle on the market motion. Yeah. So,
1: And I think, again, what we've learned, and this is, this is instructive, right? Because we used to use this that concept of value engineering way back when it wrapped as well. It seems we're learning now and we've renewed the vow, so to speak, to value engineering as well, right? Yeah. Both at Escalera and Habu, and we're trying on those same moves now at Switchbit too.
2: Hey, since we're talking about Escalera, let's get a quick shout out to the new CEO, Dane. Oh, yeah. Who just recently took the helm. And by the way, that's that also is instructive or indicative of, of the superset model. So Dane comes to us uh, from Goldman Sachs, where yep. he was the head of human capital management For Goldman Sachs, that's basically the chief people officer of Goldman Sachs. Goldman is a quirky company. They love to build their own stuff wherever they can. So in the context of that role, Dane also oversaw the build out of a lot of their own proprietary HR tech. Yeah. So, and he's just an an incredibly accomplished executive with all of the deep financial training that Goldman people pick up over the 19 years he was there. Beautiful human being. And how lucky are we? Yeah. Right. So uh, I remember I was talking to somebody and they were worried for me, it was adorable. They are worried about me now, sort of seating the CEO role to Dane. And how did I feel? And was I okay with it? I'm like, are you are you joking? <laughs> <laughs> Am I okay with it? This is the best thing ever. Yeah. Uh, Dane also just, as he pointed out, look, I mean, we're learning fast in HR tech. Dane shows up with all of that context, all of that connectivity on day one. The
1: domain expertise that we were talking about uh, earlier.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that's the superset model. You and I don't need to be the, the queen bees, right? We want the whole point is to get the ball rolling and then pass the reins to people like Dan. So let's talk about, um, other kind of revenue staging things that we're learning. So this is something where I think everybody in Silicon Valley, especially understands what happens at steady state, Mm -hmm. right? At Salesforce, you, you turn the crank, you do a thing. Don't screw it up. Like, your main job is to just not screw it up, right? The earlier stage that a lot of venture capitalists like to talk about now these days is around product market fit. Mm -hmm. Well, we want to get to a company that's product market fit. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen a lot of people talk about what it takes, what happens before product market fit, right?
1: Because you you ask people, and they'll say product market fit is when an average sales guy can sell an average, to an average customer, can sell your product to an average customer. Well, that's great, but how do you get there? You know,
2: uh, it's the, the yeah. first five customers are a hundred times harder than the fir- than the next forty five. Yes. on your way to fifty. Yes, right.
1: And Spectrum is a good example of that, right? Yeah.
2: Let's talk about Spectrum. So, so super cool company, by the way, operating in a market that we think we see and that others don't understand, yeah. right? So it's not HR Tech is very well chronicled and tracked and measured and followed. Spectrum is not an example of that, yeah. right? So, but the thesis for Spectrum is: look, we have all of these user-generated genera- feeds on the internet. How do we put the machines to work to detect and remove toxicity before it spirals? Yeah. Right? If you're a brand, this this is a big deal. You can't have trolls coming in and destroying. The consumer experience for all the other people you want to attract.
1: Correct, and kind of like fortification at, at Switchbit, you know, trust and safety now is becoming a thing, uh, uh, and Spectrum is is latching onto that, uh, but but it's been hard. They've had to make some really hard yards, right, in early stages. They have customers now.
2: What They have customers, and the customers are, are like to keep it mum. Yeah. But I've been told, actually, it's late-breaking, that we, we can talk about Pinterest.
1: Oh, wow. Good.
2: So, so Pinterest is coming out of the shadows, and, uh, and so it's a perfect example of an early-stage customer who cares deeply about this problem. By the way, really smart customer. Yeah companies like ours we want to work with the smartest customers we can early on Mm -hmm. and and so pinterest and other companies like this who who have this trust and safety problem any
1: any company that's in the social dating gaming space is a perfect candidate for the spectrum product
2: and and instructively they're not facebook how many moderators did facebook hire two years ago 20,000 or something that was was a big big number It's a ridiculous number right you're, you know, every other company on the planet can't hire thousands right. of human moderators. Again, beautiful opportunity to put the machines to work. Yep. And, and, and by the way, I guess the final thing I'd quickly note is I was skeptical. Remember, yeah. I was skeptical of Spectrum because <laughs> I think we're both sort of numerical AI guys. And so the idea now of taking unstructured text data and, and deploying artificial intelligence to not just for keyword detection, but to actually sense the right. tone Exactly. And, and weirdness of a conversation that might have misogyny or racism or sexual harassment Sexual harassment in it. Yep. Yeah. So it's pretty cool stuff. But learning how to get in those early customers, right? Get, getting those key customers in the boat is not for the meek of spirit. People love to talk about missionary sales. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've said for a long, long time, no, 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 no. These are not missionary sales. These are exorcisms. exorcisms yeah. By the power of Christ, I command you. <laughs> to buy this piece of software, yeah. right? So that's what's going on at a place like Spectrum. Should we talk about like, so pre-product market fit, yep. some of the ways in, that we're exerting discipline in how to get, maybe Habu is a good example of this. Yeah,
1: right? I think the biggest, thing, the biggest thing that comes to mind in, in that regard is, is that what you need are shots on goal. You have, to be, you have to have meetings. You have to test your messaging in as many meetings as possible, right, and get feedback. Uh, and then if you're doing it right, you can take what you learned from meeting one and then try it out in meeting two to see how
2: that plays, right? We have somebody who, <laughs> who is virtuosic. Yeah. And, 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 to a fault, I think. <laughs> but literally, there will be a meeting at 10 o'clock. And this person will get some feedback from the customer on on what was said, and he's walking into a meeting at eleven thirty. He's in a hallway before the eleven thirty meeting, adjusting yeah. the deck for the car. But that's exactly what this stage requires. Right. on first, lots and lots of customer meetings, and we see this. I I see this with other companies where they they're too afraid mm. to go out there and say something that might not hit its mark. Mm. Right well listen you're not going to figure it out unless you just unless yeah. you take those shots yeah and so one of the things at Habu that I think we're doing pretty well is we're measuring don't don't tell me how many people got into the pipeline tell me tell me how many meetings and conversations you had this week right and setting achievable metrics and goals yep. attached to those what else things like messaging yeah Right. It's, we're we're pointing it software's crazy right it's <laughs> it's it doesn't exist I mean it's Bits and bytes that exist electronically—it's not a physical thing. Yeah, and and now you're willing a new company into existence that doesn't have a physical thing to sell. Yeah, the way you say it matters a
1: lot, and maybe it's everything I think. But the other thing with with with, with regards to Habu, right? Like we know the space, of course, and we know uh, we're fortunate enough to know a lot of people that we can talk to. But we're still getting kicked in the head, right? It's not like just because we hit a home run. Uh, in the, the, the previous at bat doesn't mean that we're going to come up next and hit hit it again out of the park for a home run. We still have to ex- you know exercise all that discipline, take all those meetings, come up with the right messaging, and fail, fail, fail before we can learn and and succeed.
2: Can I say though, and I know you're this kind of person too. It is interesting to be doing what we're doing because you do come out now and and nobody gives you any credit. Yeah, really, you're you're just getting kicked in the teeth again from scratch with all of the skepticism. Like, yeah. You're you're high. That's not going to work. Right. That makes zero that's the stupidest thing <laughs> I've heard in 2 years. <laughs> so, we that's fuel for us, right? We love that. Yeah, I was
1: just going to say that's a good thing, I think. Yeah.
2: Uh you don't get any credit, which is good. Yeah. So those are some thoughts on on the customer motion and and key considerations for pre-product market fit. Um, Boy, I think that's all we got time for today.
1: Yeah, we've covered a lot of ground.
2: Yeah. All right, well, that was good fun as always. Thanks everybody for being with us on this first edition of the closed session in 2020.
1: Thank you all.